Hello there, true believers. This is Head Speaks, a proud member of the Headcast Network family of shows. As usual, I am your host, Aaron Moss, aka Head. This is my mostly monthly Headcast, where I talk about comics, movies, role-playing games, TV shows, and anything else geeky that I want. So sit back and enjoy the ride. Let's begin. Welcome to Headspeaks, episode 40. Today I've got a very special guest on for my Armageddon 2001 crossover. Uh, we'll get to him in just a minute. Actually, let's get to him now. First up, Watson Heads Long Box. Roll that bumper. Faster than a speeding bullet. In the great hall of the Justice League. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. The Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is Watson Head Longbox. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. The world's greatest super friends. And welcome back to this episode of Watson Head's Longbox. After my small break last month, I am back with the Armageddon 2001 crossovers. This month, I'm looking at Flash Annual Number 4. And, well, I scoured the internet for somebody to help me with this, and I found, uh, well, if you're a listener of the Who's Who's podcast and the Fire and Water Network in general, you may have heard of this gentleman, uh, the smooth sounds of Zumi Panori. Hey, Zoom. Hello. How are you? All right. How are you doing today? Doing all right. Thank you. Well, I'm glad you could join me today in uh, talking about the Flash. Oh yes, what what would be more appropriate than Zoom to talk about Flash? <laughs> very much so. I didn't even put that together, but very nice. Um, so before we get started on this actual issue, let's go ahead and uh, find out a little about you. How did you uh, get a love for comics, and how did you start reading comics? Oh, if you don't mind sure. Well, you know, not to plug my own show right out of the gate, but. My very first episode of the Done in One Wonders podcast, Wonder Show, which is on the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I actually go into this story in, in, in full detail. So I'll probably just kind of give you the highlights. There you go. It was basically Super Friends. Super Friends, and I'm referring to the 1973 season of Super Friends, which, which has introduced me to the comic book heroes of DC. Um, in fact, that's where I first saw The Flash. He was in that one episode where he ran around the planet earth wrapping it in the longest line of copper wire ever made to make the earth act like a magnet to prevent it from getting closer to the sun and i you, you just had to be there yeah. but i also saw him rebuild the taj mahal after it was crumbled by a thermogeophysical shock quake so i thought the flash and its super speed was pretty cool but because of the super friends i recognized the justice league of america name and when I was on my way to visit an uncle that I had never met before in March of 1974, we stopped for a bio break and to pick up snacks at a 7-Eleven. And I actually spotted 
a copy of, of I actually spotted the Justice League of America logo on a spinner rack. So I picked up the comic. It was Justice League of America uh, issue 111. It was one of those 100 pages uh, uh, books for 50 cents. And um, I saw the Flash there. I saw Superman. I saw Aquaman. I saw Batman. I saw a few other characters I didn't know before. I thought I saw Plastic Man on there, but it was actually Elongated Man. I had a lot to learn. So I picked up that book, and I was uh, I actually ended up reading it. Um, after we got to my uncle's house, um, I read some of it in the car, got a headache, um, and then tried to sleep that off. And then when we got to my uncle's house, my parents and my uncle were doing boring conversations. So I pulled out the comic book, which was rolled up in my back pocket because that's, that's how 10 year olds cared about comic books back in the early 1970s where before people realized they were worth something and, and finished reading the story. And it was, it was quite a story. And then when I closed the book, my uncle asked me what I thought of the comic. And I kind of felt like a kid that was caught reading a comic book in class. You know, because I was pretty much ignoring their whole conversation, but they were talking adult stuff, you know. So um, I, I originally didn't know what to say. And then my uncle just said, because this was the story where Libra stole half of the superpowers of, of Justice League members. And Libra was destroyed at the end and he took all of, the, he took all of the superpowers he stole with them. That's how the story ended. And my uncle looked at me and he goes, Superman and the others lost half their powers. I wonder how they're going to get them back. And I was like, wait a minute. He's sitting all the way over there. How'd he read over my shoulder? I found out he actually read that comic himself. Huh. He motioned me to a room in the back where he had all of these, um, file boxes on shelves and um uh because basically I, uh, he asked me how long i've been buying comic books and i said this is actually the very first comic book i bought and he goes let me show you the first justice league comic book i bought and he showed me he took me back to that room and he pulled out a copy of brave and the bold number 29 uh, the second appearance of of the justice league Right. And he said, you can read this if you're careful with it, but first you should read this one. And then he pulled out Brave and the Bold number 28. And he said, now, Sweet. he said, now this was the second comic book. This is the second Justice League comic book I bought, but it's the first Justice League comic book ever. So I was, I was a terrible guest that weekend because I spent most of that time just reading all of those back issues. He had full runs of Justice League. He had full runs of The Flash. I actually read Showcase Number Four, his copy of Showcase Number Four, because I wanted to know how the Flash came to be. I I, right. I, I did not realize that you know I was holding this historical artifact in my ten-year-old hands. I mean, you didn't care about yeah, <laughs> I mean, Uncle, he he had he had almost a complete run of the Golden Age Flash as well. I mean, he he had actually been collecting comics ever since he was a kid in the 1930s. Um, the reason he he actually bought the first Flash comics number one. He also bought Action Comics number one right off the newsstand. But the reason he didn't have them was basically he lost them along with all his other possessions during the unfortunate internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. So after the war and and his family's release, my uncle basically became a self-admitted pack rat and held on to most of the comics he had purchased from the late 40s onwards. And other kids in the neighborhood knew that he was 
amassing a comic collection. So when parents were throwing out comics, they would actually give them to my uncle. So he'd end up with all of these duplicate comics of various uh, various conditions because, you know, there were no bags and boards back then. In fact, he was keeping them in hanging file folders in in the file boxes, huh. un, unbagged. He had like 10 of them in a folder, and he actually needed help sorting them out. So that's what I did that weekend. I was sorting out the comics, and I noticed a number of duplicate comics, and he asked, he told me to just compare the two, and whichever one looks like it's in the worst shape, put it in this other box. So that's what I did. And there were about... 200 some comics uh, extras and um, when I was done he started looking through the duplicate box and he actually pulled out a really beat up copy of, of just of sorry not just League. it was it was brave and the bold 29 which was a, a duplicate copy and it was not in the same shape as the one that I had read because somebody cut out the somebody cut out the coupon on the back to mail in for a cardboard tank. So, you know, the, the, the coupon section of the cover was missing. And he basically put that back in his box and he pulled out the more pristine copy of Brave and the Bold 29 and put it in the duplicate box. The very first comic book he ever owned. He put it in that box and then he handed that box to me as a thank you for sorting out his collection and to basically start me on my way to, to collecting. That's a very nice start. Yeah, I, I still own that comic book, that that Brave and wow. Bull 29, I actually posted a picture of it in the um, in the image gallery of my first episode of, of nice. the Done in One Wonders podcast, Wonder Show. So, you know, yeah, I definitely recommend people check out Zoom Show. It's, it's, it's a very nice story. That, you know, it's just, it's... Yeah. I'm Thank sitting here like, and, you know, wonder at that, like, wow. <laughs> Uncle Kenzo, unfortunately, had to sell his showcase number four copy to help pay for medical expenses in his later years, but... Uh, but he told me that he purchased it off the newsstand, so he must have had a substantial return on investment. Very much so. <laughs> wow, that's very nice. Well, I'm just a wonder at your story. This is fantastic. Um, <laughs> so uh, moving on from that, uh, Armageddon 2001, uh, since you're on the show, I'm assuming you've read the story before. I, I have. Did you, read this off the news- <laughs> did you read this off the newsstand originally? Or no, I, did, I, 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 yeah, I did not read this right when it came out for a number of reasons. Big reason number one is that in 1989, I was I was living in Hong Kong and I was actually shot in the back by a convenience store robber because I was trying to help somebody up and I thought he left and he didn't. Um, I was hospitalized for a while. I was recovering from the trauma of that and the stress of trying to cover the medical bills, especially since I was no longer as productive at work. And I was actually working as a background illustrator for... Um, Hong Kong Manhua comics. So I was actually doing my dream job of drawing comic books. Um, and I wasn't very productive. So um, right. it, it was not a very good time for me. Um, and it was very difficult for me to essentially go out and buy comics because they were very expensive over there in, in Hong Kong because of the um, uh, foreign exchange rate. Um, and also, I didn't think I was in the right mindset to enjoy them anyway. But but in 1991, when I, in late 1991, I moved to Malaysia, my life started to get back into the groove. Um, but again, because I was living in Malaysia, I was earning Malaysian ringgit at local work rates. So with the foreign exchange, a regular comic book would essentially cost four to five dollars in local money. And an annual would be like 12 to 15. 
local dollars. So I had to pick and choose. So it would be about a year or two later when my uncle Kenzo, him again, would basically ship me his entire Arbogeddon 2001 set because he essentially read it once and did not picture himself reading it again. So he gave it to me. Wow, so that's an interesting story. I like that's Sorry to hear about that. Yeah, your, your troubles, but wow, that's... Oh, I got better. And worse, but, oh, I, but I got better then. Well, good. That's a, at least that's a good thing. I mean, uh, well, let's go and move on to this, this issue. So we're looking at Flash Annual Number 4. Uh, this was covered in 1991. The on-sale date was July the 2nd of 1991. And if you bought this off the newsstand here in America, that was $2. The title of this story was called Family Business. The writer was Mark Wade. The penciler was Craig Brassfield. Inker, Andrew Pepway. Letter was Timothy Hawk, uh, Harkins, and the colorist was Tom McGraw. Like quick draw McGraw. Uh, was, that's, what, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> editor was Brian Michael Augustin. The cover was penciled by Mark Paraback and inked by Rick Burchett. The synopsis for the story. As usual, we start our story with Wave Rider doing a recap of his mission. To find the hero which one day would become Monarch. He begins his next investigation at Flash Appreciation Day. Wayfire touches Flash just as he's meeting a woman named Bonnie Blackmon. We flash 10 years to the future in Flagstaff, Arizona, where we find Mike and Diane Edwards and their 9-year-old son, David. Mike, we learn, was previously known by a different name. Well, actually, two different names. Wally West and The Flash. Wally's thinking about the other heroes and their children and how he knows that his David's going to make it. As him and his wife are talking about someone maybe spying on the family, his son, David, uses super speed to save a neighborhood girl from being hit by a truck. We find out that while David inherited Wally's speed, he did not get his aura to protect him from friction. Wally rushes David to the hospital, leaving Diane at home reminiscing about the past. We find out that Diane was once known as Bonnie Blackmon. Yes, the one for earlier in the story, in case you hadn't guessed. We find out that Bonnie was working for a company called Diogenes Industry. She found some papers she shouldn't have. While trying to decide what to do, she ran to Wally. See the first part of the story. After some investigation, she discovered that Diogenes is the biggest crime syndicate mob boss in the Midwest. It appears that he too has a superpower. He can touch someone and absorb their memories, fears, and secrets. They managed to put Diogenes and his son away for life, and also fell in love. Before going away, Diogenes touched them and find out everything about them. So Ollie and Bonnie joined Witness Protection and became Mike and Diane, and soon had a young son named David. Back in the present, Wally calls Bonnie and let her know that they are at the hospital, Outside the house, Leonard Snart is listening in. He then reports to Diogenes about where Wally and Bonnie are living. In return, Diogenes will help them will help him get out of the country and away from his sister, Lisa Snart, a.k.a. the Golden Glider. While Wally and Bonnie are in the hospital visiting their son, Wally gets a call that he goes to take. While he's talking to Diogenes, their son is taken from the hospital. And the Flash returns and runs a maze of villains, each of which zaps him with a gun. Weather Wizard, Slow and Steady, and Mr. Sprint... Rainbow Rider, Golden Glider, and Chillblain, up to the last, Paradox. As he goes through the gun, he realizes the guns are slowing him down, zapping him with his speed. As Paradox finally slows Wally down slow enough, he debates on how to kill him. He said he could slow down the left side of Flash's body and speed up the right. It worked to kill his son. This last taunt, and hearing that his son is dead, gives Wally the last minute oomph to jump up and take, his, to take Paradox out. After beating on the villain, villain for a bit, Paradox gives up David's location. Right before Flash busts out on Diogenes with his captives Linda and Jerry, we find out that Diogenes was stealing Flash's speed, so he transferred to his son Matthew, who is dying. Diogenes throws the switch, empowering his son, 
who starts moving so fast that he dies. Lola explains that Matthew doesn't have the right genetic makeup to handle the power. Jerry explains that the machine reabsorbed the speed, and Wally can get his power back. The story ends with Wally visiting his son in the hospital. As Wally leaves, David opens his hand to show the flash room in there. We next see Wally on the phone talking to his wife as a nurse drops a tray of food. Wally reaches out to stop it, but it's too slow. We end up watching David running, holding the flash ring in front of him as the new hero is born. Back in present time, Bonnie is interrupted from talking to Flash by her boss, Matthew. This issue ends with Wally contemplating that it must have been a lover's quarrel, and it was actually something he'll hear from her again to be continued. So, uh, Zoom, let's go and take a look at this actual issue. Yeah. Uh, let's start with the cover. Okay. Um, what do you think about this cover? What are your thoughts on this? Well, I, 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 I always liked Mike Parabic's art, especially inked by Rich Burchett. Um, this is actually a, 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 a pretty good montage layout, and it does tease what's going on in the story. But overall, um, I did not find the cover to be as compelling as some of the other annual covers. Um, I suppose it kind of reminded me of a, a – let me use an analogy that may or may not work. Um, you know how those TV guide adverts for a TV movie of the week, um, they take a full page ad and they try to make it kind of look like a cinematic movie poster, but because they're using the TV right. images, the, it comes off a little lackluster by comparison. That, yeah. That's kind of how I feel about this cover. I mean, I would have read this story regardless because it was a flash story. Um, and to be honest, I actually had a greater appreciation of the cover after I had read the story because at first glance, you know, the couple with the injured son at the lower left of the layout, I had no idea who they were because I didn't know they didn't look like anybody. I didn't know it was, uh, Mike and Diane or, you know, Wally and, and Bonnie, right. you know, I, I, I didn't know. I also, I actually did not recognize weather wizard at first either. I thought he was a kid sidekick to the rainbow Raider. Because he had a boyish face and he was using the same weapon as the Raider was. Um, but I will say that the images of Paradox and, and Diogenes were top-notch uh, when I saw them from the start. Now, this is what's going to bring up the score, the cover in my mind. But even though I didn't know who they were, I could tell that Paradox was going to be trouble just by looking at that. And the Diogenes image conveyed that he was the big bad in this story, even though he was in... You know, he was in partial shadow. I expected him to be an older Flash foe like the Thinker and not really a brand new character. But after reading the story and seeing him have his hand out and you know what his powers are by touch, you know, that made it that made it even more menacing. So, you know, the, the cover works and yet it doesn't work. And I, and I don't know whether and I don't know whether to blame the artist or, or just the story because they're in the witness protection program. They can't look like Wally and Bonnie, you know. My thoughts on the cover, real quick. Uh, and I should—I guess I should describe the cover. We get the front and center. We have Flash. Looks like he's in pain. Behind him, we have Wave Rider standing, grabbing his shoulders. His hands are crackling with energy. Deep tissue massage. Yeah, <laughs> that's possibly what it is. I, I, it's really good because it's hurting so bad. And then, as uh, Zoom said, but they're like rays are shooting off from behind Wave Rider. In each panel, there's a separate scene. Uh, starting at the lower left-hand side, we get, as we find out, uh, Wally and Bonnie in their, their new identities, standing over their son David. Above them is Paradox. Across from him, we have our, our master villain. And then below them, we have the Wave Rider. Wave Rider? Try that again. We have Rainbow Raider and Weather Wizard 
shooting some guns. And then bottom corner, you know, the 21st century. Do you know where your superheroes are? And I'm going to echo a lot of the same thoughts that Zoom made about this. I do like uh, I do like the uh, the Diogenes, or I can't pronounce the right name, but up in the uh, top right-hand corner, he's got his hand. And it's, it almost looks like his hand is closer to us than Wally and Wave Rider are. Uh, it's like the way that's laid out. And yeah, like I said, yeah, you can tell that uh, Paradox is, you know, he's up there. He, he looks menacing. And I agree with you that you can't quite tell who that couple is. I don't even think that what's a Wally, you know, I don't even think he looks the same there as he does inside the book. No, the Because to yeah. me, his hair is darker. It's like a black, like Bruce Wayne color. Oh, well, the coloring is not, the, the coloring is not exact. I mean, Paradox isn't colored the same way he is in the book either. Yeah, so. He looks like the top, he looks like the top, actually, if you, if you, at, at first glance. Uh, now that you mention it, but yeah, so I mean, the cover's a little off as far as that goes. Mm. Um, on a scale of one to five, uh, one being a horrible cover, five being magnificent, uh, what would you give this cover? I have to put it at a three. I like the artwork, I like the rendering, but but it doesn't work as a cover to me, not completely. And yeah, I, and I, I see what you're talking about, and I, I agree with you. And yeah, I would probably give it a. a, a Low three, maybe a mid three at the highest. But yeah, I agree with you that it, while it's a, a nice cover in places overall, it doesn't really work that great as a as a cover for the story. I didn't know we could do partial. I didn't know we could do partial threes. Can I change my number? You sure can. You know what? Yes. <laughs> no, we'll you keep can. it at a mid three. We'll just put okay. it right smack in the middle. Two point five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm easygoing, so yeah, I, I don't mind people changing their score. <laughs> And let's move on to the story itself. What are your thoughts on the story? Do you have any? Sure. Well, I believe this was actually Mark Wade's first Flash story. That's correct. And this is <clears throat> a little bit before he started. For, I made a note by first. Yeah, it, yeah it, it's definitely it's definitely before it was it was it was after Flash Fifty. I know that. Um, I believe this was Mark Wade's first Flash story. Now, I, again, this was this this came out during the time when you know I wasn't really in the comic scene, but, but my uncle kept old Westfield comics catalogs and there was a, a column there by Mark Wade. And I believe there was already some news in there by the time this Armageddon issue came out that Mark Wade was going to be taking over as the regular writer of the flash series. So to be honest, I, I, I didn't think this was uh, a good precursor of what was to come. And I'm glad that I was, I was proven wrong by Mark Wade's brilliant run later, but this was not, this was not a good intro to me for what to expect from Mark Wade. Um, because to be honest, when I first read it, I, I didn't find the story overall to be particularly memorable, mainly because it didn't really touch on the whole could the Flash possibly be Monarch concept at all, which was what was done in the other uh, annuals where it was like, here's Superman. We're going to see Superman's future. Could he possibly be Monarch because of this? We don't know. No, he's not type of thing. We didn't see any of that in the flash. We didn't see any of wave riders commentary at all during this story. It was essentially a DC comics equivalent of a what if story as in what if the flash was threatened by a syndicate boss and had to go in the witness protection program. That idea just rolls off the what if cover layout, doesn't it? Maybe they, sh- maybe they should have called it a little ditty about Mike and Diane. There's a song in there somewhere.
about Jack and Diane Two American kids growing up in the heartland Jack is gonna be a football star Diane's debutante backseat of Jackie's car Chili dog outside taste freeze. Diane sitting on Jackie's lap, got his hands between the knees. That's that's what I was thinking. Sounds like a song somewhere. But despite despite the unmemorable story, there were a few scenes and concepts that I did recall before I reread this. The page where David saved the girl from the moving van was well done. Now, I'll get into the artwork a little bit later, but just that page itself was well done. It was one of the better pages and the page where Wally puts on the flash ring and ejects the costume. Those two had stuck in my mind. And, of course, some of the concepts were wonderful. The new characters, Paradox and Chillblain, really stood out. Sprint was actually an old villain, one of the Turtle Man's thugs, as well as Slow and Steady. They actually appeared in the Mesner Loeb's run. Um, Flash Volume 2, Issue 32 was their first appearance, and that was a few years before this book came out. But the big idea that really stood out to me was the idea that if someone was to steal the Flash's super speed powers, they would kill that person if they did not have the right genetic makeup to handle it. That was a new angle on the typical Silver and Bronze Age stories where an ordinary person would steal the Flash's speed or Kid Flash's speed and just zip around and cause trouble with no, well, trouble. So that was a unique concept to me. And I like that Mark Wade would eventually bring the Chillblain concept in his regular Flash run um, as a running string of what Wally would call himbos that were given the costume and cold weapons from a mysterious benefactor. But, of course, readers of this annual already knew it was the Golden Glider behind it all. But unlike this annual, the Glider did not personally partner with these Chillblains in terms of doing heists together or doing other things together. Um, in fact, the fourth Chillblain actually killed Golden Glider uh, in the Flash Volume 2, Issue 113. But when I did see Chillblain in the regular Flash strip, I was actually hoping that we would eventually get the backstory on Paradox. But I don't believe that was ever done. Yeah, I don't believe he ever actually showed up in the comic, unless I'm missing something, after this. I, I don't believe so. Um... I didn't have the time to actually look it up for sure, but I don't. I do not recall, and I and I did read the Flash all the way to the end of, of Mark Wade's run, and I would like to think that I would remember that. But of course, I didn't remember a lot of this story, <laughs> and I actually have. <laughs> well, I checked, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, as I say, I checked uh, Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Most podcasters love, mm-hmm. and uh, Me too. yeah, it didn't have any other appearances for Paradox. Okay, well there we go. And I know I was skipping ahead to the foreshadowing, but before I get to my thoughts on when I reread this story, I have to say that when I read the Kingdom Come series by Alex Ross and Mark Wade a few years later, and when I saw the annotated hardcover a few years after that, which had the family tree charts, and, it's, and I saw that the parents of the teenage Kid Flash was not Wally West and Linda Park, but Wally West and a woman named Angela Margoline. And I immediately went back to this annual just to make sure it was not the name of the wife in this story. And it was not. But, you know, I, as, as I said offline, I actually have a type of eidetic memory. So the fact that I had to go back to the issue showed that this story was not that memorable to me at the first read. That was just my recollection of the issue. When I actually reread this story with fresher eyes, 
I have to say that I especially like the family dynamic of this alternative future West family, which is a concept that would be one of the hallmarks of Mark Wade's flash run, in my opinion. Um, I loved how Wally and his son David first interact with that whole weenie ball jab and all of that. That was just so, that was just so real. And, and all of the sacrifices the flash was willing to make for his son, including giving up all of his powers just so David could safely use his. It was a great moment. It was very, very down to earth and it helped put a little grounding into what is essentially a DC cosmic event. Yeah. Now I, I took a jab at the what if title because I, I did not find the main villain Diogenes. Um, I did, I did not find him, you know, being a business tycoon who was also a syndicate boss. It wasn't all that interesting, but I did like the idea of his power of learning everything about a person with one touch and how dangerous a person with that power could be. But somehow I just did not see a superhero whose identity was already public knowledge going into a witness protection program. And to be fair, at least Wade acknowledged that on page 17 by saying that this wasn't Wally's style and that he would do that he would continue to do it only until he was sure that his wife and family were safe. And I think that's again, yeah, much like you, yeah, Wally, Wally had a uh, didn't have a secret identity at this point, but I believe yeah, since he had fallen in love with Bonnie, yeah, like Mark Wade covered, he was just doing it just to protect his new family. And if I'm not mistaken. I'm trying to remember if he's did his mom get killed or my mystery. No, no, Wally's Wally's mother was killed, but you know Wally's mother would have been a target. First, first it was Bonnie's, uh, what was it Bonnie's sister? And um, I need I need to look at the page as well. Uh, where is oh the flashback? Yes, it was on page seventeen. Back on page seventeen, it was the panel before the one I was talking about. There you go. Yeah. So the father. Father was threatened, the brother was beaten, and Wally's mother was killed. Okay, yeah. So at that at this point, the only person had Wally had in his life was Bonnie. Yeah. Because before this, he had his mom. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had his, his super friends, if you will. Yes. He had Chunk, but he didn't have a lot of he didn't have any family at this point other than his mom. I, I could see him going into witness protection again long enough to protect his, his wife because after his mom died. Or I said died. If she was murdered, I could see him wanting to protect what family has yes, left. Yes, it's it's plausible. It's plausible, but you'll have to forgive me if I don't completely buy it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, no, that is. A, yeah, that, Heidi's not really Wally's strong suit. Right, and <laughs> and at least they admit that on the pa- on the page. They do acknowledge that, though. I don't. I don't know what. I, I just don't know why Wally's mother wouldn't have been killed long before now, since you know the, his his identity was public knowledge for years. But then he wasn't a target of a of a business tycoon that was also a syndicate mob boss. Yeah, so usually he deals with with super villains who go after the, the main character. Yeah, they develop multi million dollar technology to steal a few thousand dollars from a bank. <laughs> Yeah, so the faking's out there strong suit. <laughs> there you go. That's what we have to hand wave and look away from. Sure. <laughs> I had a few other thoughts too, but but why don't you share some of yours? I feel like I'm hogging the conversation. Well, like I said, I enjoy listening to you talk, so I don't mind it often here and just listen to you. <laughs> but no, I, I agree with you. I enjoy even with with the annual itself. 
and, and I'm going to talk about this in the last episode, some annuals don't quite fit in with the theme of the story once you get past the, the framing device. You get Wave Rider in here, and he's talking about you know why he's there for. But then once we start the actual flashback itself, or flash forward, like you said, it's more of a what-if story. So, but, you know, the, the whole family dynamics of it, the way that, you know, we, we can see that Barry, as you, or Barry, Wally, as you said earlier, we can tell that he cares for his son, and they have a very good relationship. And I think that's saying something, especially for Wally, seeing how the relationship he had with his parents. I mean, his did have a good relationship. You know, his mom was very clingy, very demanding. His dad was a con man out of the picture most of the time. Yeah, that was a retcon, by the way. I, I still like the old, you know, Wolfman and Perez um, characterization of Wally West's parents, which were basically normal people in an extraordinary world. Well, see, I, I read those years ago, but yeah, I, I read the, the Flash series and that kind of supplement to those, those, those earlier stories, so I I forgot about well, that. Well, I'm, I'm just glad that uh, Greg Weissman brought that back in that brilliant Young Justice animated series. So something, right. something to remind you for. But I'm, I, I digress. Oh, not at all. But, uh, and I say, yeah, there's, there's some very, you know, like Wally reading through the book very fast, much like Wally does. Mm. Uh, and I do, like you mentioned earlier, that page 10 where... Uh, David is jumping off, you know, his bike's disintegrating, he's going so fast, and he's throwing that girl all the way to the bus. Yes. And then we get Wally, a.k.a. Uh, Mike, standing in the window, no, staring out, watching his son, just in, you know, pain from the, the friction and the, the moving at super speed without the aura to protect him. Yes. That's just a great scene. Yeah, and it's not just, it's not just the, um, the friction you know, back in the Silver Age, it was a friction, but in the modern age, post-crisis, the the aura was doing more than that. It was it was preventing muscle damage and and cleansing fatigue poisons and all of that type of stuff. That was that was just more to it than just um, than just a windburn. Um, and I and I got to say that that um, that panel, the the facial expressions there, that actually works. The artwork. Uh, it doesn't work in a lot of other places, uh, and maybe we can go into that when we start talking about the artwork. Um, but, but first, we're, we're talking about the story overall. Yeah, I do like how uh, when uh, Wally is sitting there thinking about the other heroes, we find out a little bit about you know Fire, how she lost her child, and uh, he talked about Longitude Man kid was okay. Zero Man, new character. Uh, which is, yeah, a new character. I don't think, and again, much like uh, with Paradox, it's something that Wade created that I don't think ever showed up anywhere else. Did they show, use Zero Man that I'm missing? Do you ever recall hearing of Zero Man? I saw a cartoon this? series called Zero Man that was, it was a Canadian cartoon. It was voiced by Leslie Nielsen. I'm sure it's not the same guy. Huh. It's zero man. Ba-da, ba-da, ba-da. Yeah, like I, I have a feeling three listeners recognize that, and they're all from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> they know they know what I'm talking uh, yeah. about, and they can probably leave you commentary. But but that's the only zero man I know. I, I it may have been something that Mark Wade may have been bringing later, or maybe he just kind of tossed it out there. 
to just show that, hey, this is the future. There are new characters we've never heard of yet. Well, it looks like Digressing World looks like it came out in 2004. Oh, the Zero Man cartoon. Yes, yes, the Zero yes. The cartoon did. that you refer to. Yeah, it came out in 2004. So. Right, exactly. So, huh. yeah, Mark Way was ahead of his time. Voices of Leslie, Leslie Nelson and Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Hmm, yeah, I've never never heard of that. It's, it was a fun little series. I they look up Zero Man until we got talking about it. And... So yes, I, yeah, I don't know if, if and I, I don't know why since oh, and to go back earlier, we were talking about uh, when this came out compared to when Wade took over. Yes, uh, this came out the same month as issue fifty four of the Flash series, right. and Wade came on board issue sixty. Right, that's right. So it was almost. Okay, so fifty four, sixty two, so that was uh, eight, eight, um, eight months later. Yes. Yeah. So, so there definitely was news that Wade was going to be taking over um, at the time that this came out. So, so this was to some people, this might have been okay. Let's see what this Mister Wade has got. And much like you said, yeah, if this was what Wade's would have run would have been like. I don't know if it would have been as popular as it turned out to be. You know, when we came on the book, like in issue sixty-two, he took, you know, he came on, he took off with yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, it was brilliant, and maybe it was good that this story was forgettable. Yeah. Because then they couldn't hold it against him, and they gave him a this they gave him a clean slate, which 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 worked out well. But as I say, I'm kind of surprised he didn't bring in Zero Man or. Paradox, especially Paradox later in the series. Yeah, I was I was hoping for that, especially when Chillblain started showing up. Yeah. In fact, this whole storyline never really goes anywhere beyond this, this story. Well, no, and that's because of the ending. Which, in fact... Right, what's... <laughs> well, but the ending kind of sets it up for possibly maybe something. Well, <laughs> I, I wonder about that, because... You know, in other in other annuals, we've noticed that Wave Rider was ending up changing the timeline just by watching the future timeline, um, and that that's pretty interesting, actually, because he ended up changing the timeline so that this story would never take place. But as my wife Namiko would say, interesting goes everywhere, and in this case, I think interesting went into a very bad place because at the end, Bonnie Blackman was being led away from Flash by Matthew Diogenes. And given Matthew's close association with his father, it would not surprise me if Ms. Blackman met an untimely demise off-panel while the Flash continued to obliviously sign autographs. <laughs> Which I, I, I wondered what ha- why they never brought it back, why they didn't... Because, again, it kind of sets it up, you know, it's important I'm trying to hear from her again. Like, maybe they were going to look into this f- in the future, but nothing ever happened, so maybe... Maybe you're right. Maybe that's Mark Wade's way of saying, well, she's dead. Yeah, I mean, in fact, it was, not, it was not clear if Matthew also had his father's abilities. I mean, you know, I don't think his father was actually named. They just kept calling him Diogenes. But Diogenes promised to give his son power. But that didn't mean his son had no power. So, you know, if just, just looking at page, at the top of page 17 with Diogenes, you know, putting the hand on Bonnie and Flash's shoulder and learning all their secrets and, and all their family members right. that he could threaten – you know, you see Matthew put his hand on Bonnie's shoulder in the same manner and kind of has that same look on his face, you know. And, and if, if Matthew did have his father's abilities, then 
he was touching Bonnie's shoulder, he would he would know everything that she knew, including the incriminating evidence that she uncovered and her plans to give it to a superhero. So either way, I think uh, I think it did not end well for Ms. Blockman. Yeah, see, from the fact that his dad was trying to give him powers, I I just assumed he didn't have powers. And that's a safe assumption. And that and that and when he met her at the end, I assumed and again, you know about assuming, but I just assumed that he it already his he's been looking for that, that's why yeah. So I'm I'm sorry. So that's why I'm wondering if mm-hmm. he already knew Yeah, I, I don't assume, I presume. Because when you presume you make a prez out of you and me. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> I stole that from Galavant. Well, there you go. But yeah, I do like here at the end, page fifty-two, when uh, he's talking with Jerry and Lindy. And Jerry's like, "Well, we got your power's back in the machine. We can get it back to you at any time." And he's then in the next page, you know, he, he gives his flashing to his son. Mm-hmm. And I like here at the end of page fifty-four when the, the nurse, whoever this is, about uh, to drop the flat tray of food. Yeah. And Wally reaches out for it to try to stop it. Much Shades of Showcase like Number Four. Yes, that's exactly what I thought. I mean, that one there. Yeah, Barry reached out and stopped the tray here. Wally reaches out. Well, he doesn't have the speed to catch yep. it. I, I think that was intentional. That that's a, that's definitely something Mark Mark Wade would do. Yes, that's a, that's a, that's a very much of a Wadeism. <laughs> and a, not only is it, like I say, it's a flashback to the the first Flash story, but it also, or at least this Flash. The reappearance of the modern Flash back in the Silver Age, mm-hmm. but it also, you know, it lets us know that you know Bear, uh, Wally no longer has the speed. Mm-hmm. And then just that last scene there on page fifty-five of Dave, uh, yeah, David running down the street, the Flash being held out in front yep. of him. That's just a very nice scene. I like that way that looks. So, uh, what are your thoughts on the art on this? We kind of talked about that a little bit here and there, but. Uh, the artwork by by Craig Brassfield and, and Andrew Papoy was was serviceable at best. I mean, it was good at telling the story. Some of the scenes brought that sense of excitement to my eyes, mainly the ones that I remembered earlier, the, 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 the title panel of David saving Jane Newman, the girl, from being hit by the moving van. And, of course, the Flash costume ring page, even though at this time in the regular comics, Flash had lost all of his costume ring materials and had that shiny suit that was similar to the television show suit but but details but anyway the other bits of action was again it was serviceable but it was not that dynamic as an example the scene at the at the end of page 49 when the powerless wally west kicks open the door of diogenes's uh, laboratory hideout and says he is there for his son that was supposed to be a big dramatic moment in the story but the artwork and the storytelling does not really pull it off that well to yeah. me. The big issue in that instance and throughout the issue, actually, is that the anatomy was really wonky. Um, and sometimes the, the faces looked a little too cartoony, that the dramatic facial expressions sometimes do not fully convey the emotions that they're actually trying to show. One of the exceptions was, you know, the son in pain after saving Jane Newman from, from the moving van. That was actually very well done. But I w- and I'll I'll give the art team credit for that. I will also give them credit for at least making all of the characters appear to be ten years older, which I did not seem to see in the other annuals. the The characters did not seem to age at all in the other annuals. The only exception being Captain Adam looked older in Armageddon two thousand number two. Sorry, right. two thousand one number two. 
But, you know, also because this was the artist's first outing drawing the Flash, I could I could not tell who some of the regular Flash characters were at first glance during Flash Appreciation Day, um, with the exception of, of course, the Flash himself because of his distinctive costume and Chunk because of his body type. But but Mason Tolbridge, Tina and Jerry McGee, they needed a name placard in front of them at the Flash Day event for me to know who they were. And, and to be honest, back to page 17, we seem to love page 17. I originally thought that the man that was spying on the future West family, which was on the last panel of page 17, I thought it was actually Captain Boomerang and not Captain Cold. You know what? That's the same thing I thought. I thought the same thing until the next page when he's introduced as Leonard Star. I'm like, oh, okay. I thought that was Boomerang. That was my Boomerang yeah. day. Yeah, so it wasn't just me. No, no I, I had the same thoughts you did, so... I thought it was just me. I'm glad to see I'm not alone on that. And even, yeah, Leonard uh, Snart's face just doesn't look right. I, I'm wondering if he's actually supposed to be disfigured a little bit. He is. Bit. He's supposed, to be, he's, like, he's supposed yeah. to be scarred by the, uh, yeah, by the ice skate blades. Right. Just like how uh, Golden Glider attacked the Flash, cut his, cut his shoulder with the, with the blades. So I, I presume that's what happened. Sometimes the artwork pulls it off. Sometimes it doesn't. When, I think part of the problem with, with us not recognizing who he was on that page 17 is that there it looks like he's got more receding hairline like Boomerang mm-hmm. had. Where on the next page, it's not quite, it's not a pronounced receding hairline like it is there. Yeah. It's just, I think you said the art's not, it's inconsistent. Yes, that's the word. I see there's some panels that looks fantastic, another panel like, what, what the heck is this? Yeah, and, and, you know, I don't know if this was a tryout issue. I don't recall seeing anything else by Craig Brasfield. It it gave me the feel of some of those bonus books, which, again, were tryout artists. And that was back when – this was back in the 90s where a lot of comic companies were looking for style more than substance. And, again, I, I don't mean any disrespect to Craig Brasfield. Again, the artwork was serviceable. It does tell the story very well it's just you know the 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 wonky anatomy and and again the inconsistent artwork just kind of takes me out of of the storytelling experience well and speaking of going back to to mike's amazing world of comics according to mike's site this was his second dc project Hmm. the first one was in september 1990 he did a uh, legion of superheroes number 11 the bonus book Possibly, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Legion I don't think there was a bonus book for the Legion. It's a possibility. <laughs> but before, but that, he, that's only two pieces of DC work he did. Before that, he did some work for Comico. Okay. Uh, Justice Machine, Elementals, which I never read about. I have read the Justice Machine, um, but the, and 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 yes, this artwork does seem very reminiscent of the, of those indie comics and and back and, and back then that Alpha Flight. Back then in the 80s, that kind of, you know, for the independent comics, that that type of artwork style was, uh, for lack of a better word, forgivable. Right. It looks like his first work was on with first comics for Badger. Okay. He did uh, issues 15 through 18 of Badger. He did an issue of Nexus. Then, like, he went to Marvel and did Alpha Flight, Comico. Did these two for DC, and then he went back to Marvel. Mm. It's Alpha Flight, Illuminator number one. I'd like to think that his style had probably improved when he worked at Marvel. Yeah, he did New Warriors, Comic's New Warriors. He did the Justice Four Balance, the Fortune miniseries, mm-hmm. focusing on the Justice uh, Justice from New Warriors. 
And if I'm not mistaken, I enjoyed the artwork in that, so I'm assuming his artwork improved. Oh, yeah. When I look at Alan Davis's early artwork from the British um, black and white comics, you can see a little hint of Alan Davis there, but you can also kind of see the that it's that it's not as refined. And maybe this is just unrefined Craig Brassfield right here. And they just caught yeah, him. Yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not an art guy. I don't know much about art. I know what I like. But I wonder <laughs> if, if how much of this is the, the pencil or how much is the inker. Right. Because, again, looking at Mike's side, this is the inker, uh, Andrew Pep- Peplin. Yes. This is his first job. Mm. The first thing he did was this thing. Yeah. I, I would like to think that if this was his first inking job, he probably wouldn't have done much with the layouts. Right. But then, again, the rendering. It's hard to it's hard to tell. I mean, without looking at the original pencils, you really don't know. Right. And it's not really who to blame. You you just don't you just don't know who. Right. <laughs> We're being very terrible here. I'm sorry. It's just uh, well, that's you you don't again, know what you know, the cause or, is for our older comic geeks for our little thirty year old comic. We do not know the cause behind our quibbles. Another another really nice page is page uh, twenty eight. I think you mentioned this earlier, where he's popping the ring out. Yeah, and, and even the even the words, even the words, what goes around comes around, like a circle, like a ring. That sounds that yeah. sounds very Mark Mark Wade, and and that page stuck to me for the words as well. Yeah, very much so. But yeah, that's I was flipping through here, and I came across that page twenty. I'm like, wow, that, that is a nice page, mm-hmm. also. So and that's what you talked about earlier. So yeah, but other than that, yeah, the artwork was, as you said, serviceable. Some pages better than others. Some not as good. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on this issue? Um, no, we talked about the ending, which I thought was going to be my last word on there. So, no, no, I'm, I think I think we've covered pretty much everything I have to say about it. Don't have much more to say. It was a, it was a good issue, but yeah, it did, as you said earlier on, it didn't really fit too well with the you know because nothing really mentioned about Monarch. We don't get uh, Wave Rider popping in at all, like some of the other stories. It doesn't seem like he may be Wave or Mar, but we keep watching and see. So it just kind of, I don't know, it just, it was a decent story, but much like you said, kind of forgettable. Mm. Have, I, don't rec- I don't recall seeing Wave Rider taking the form of other people either, like he did in, in, in page two. Was it page two or was it page, I'm going from memory here because I don't have the. Yeah, it was page, uh, page four. Page four. Yeah. yeah where he- and actually, yeah, in the Justice League annual. Just like America, he took on the form of Captain Adam uh, in the his friend. What was it? Was it the uh, Army of Two Thousand One mm-hmm. or the Batman? In the Batman story, he took on the appearance of a crook, right? Or just some common th- guy. So yeah, he, that, that was part of his power is is shape shifting or illusion. I'm not sure if he's actually changing shape or if it's just an illusion. Right. And I was wondering, did did he really need that? I mean, I got the impression that nobody could really see him anyway, but. Said, and see, again, I guess kind of inconsistent on, yeah, whether he needs to, or I don't know if maybe it's like, because maybe it's kind of like, uh, who was it from Legion of Superheroes? Can only use one power. Oh, yeah, you're talking about Ultra Boy. We, we are, Ultra Boy. By, by the way, all you listeners out there in podcast listening land, we are really nitpicking here, so please forgive us. Oh, I, I love this series overall, so that's yeah. why I'm covering That's this. fine. And yes, and uh, I. I also like the series. My uncle didn't, but I, I like it. <laughs> and, you know, we, we poke fun at things we love. So. Well, I say, you know, we're, you know, 40, 50 year old geeks sitting around 
at night talking about, you know, a 30 year old comic, not much else to do, but pick it apart. Yeah. And, I'm 55. I'm, I'm 55 by the way. So yes. So there you go. Yeah. So I'm 40. I know you're just from what you're talking about earlier about, you know, running across the, uh, the justly comic in you know, the early seventies and you're 10 years old. I knew you're approximately mid, about your mid fifties. Definitely up there. Yes. <laughs> I'm right behind you. So I'm 48. So you'll never catch up to me. Hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, so uh, well, if you have any other thoughts on this issue, we'll go ahead and call it in on that. So overall, as a, as a series, yes. what are your thoughts on, discounting the ending, which we'll get to a bit mm-hmm. later, what are your thoughts on the overall Armageddon, besides not being, some of the issues not being very memorable? Well, yeah, some, well, well it was that inconsistency among, among the, right. the annuals. And, and to be honest, that's, that's what happens when you do this annual event with different teams, because um, I think Armageddon 2001 especially, and there are probably some others, like Eclipso, The Darkness Within, and, and maybe Bloodlines too, where basically uh, it was almost like um, going back to Crisis on Infinite Earths. There was an editorial edict to feature the Monitor as a precursor to Crisis. And you just have to have the monitor show up and the monitor is supplying weapons to villains. But the way that was handled by the different creative teams was different. So sometimes you get some inconsistent monitor appearances. And I have a feeling that they handled it the same way with these annuals where it was, okay, this is the, the, you know, you could read Armageddon 2001, Issues 1 and Issues 2, without reading any of the annuals in between. And you pretty much get the whole story already. Again, the the annuals kind of serve as this what-if type of scenario. And I have a feeling that that was the way they pitched it to the creative teams. It's like, this is a chance to do your own what-if future story. And, and the brilliant thing about, you know, Superman and Batman having multiple books is that, hey, we can do alternative futures. So, you know, you don't have to stick with just Superman being the president, that type of thing. So I, I think there was, I think there may have been a little bit too much creative freedom on there that made the series not work. But on the flip side of that, that creative freedom allowed those, um, creative teams to really just go play. And there are some annuals where they get some way out ideas. And it's it's great in and of itself, but when you try and put it in Armageddon 2001, it doesn't quite fit. This story for The Flash, again, it wasn't that memorable, and a lot of it had to do with just really the opposition, in my opinion. Paradox was the most interesting villain there. I think if it was just Paradox as the main villain, and they did a little bit more on his backstory to make him more interesting. I probably would have remembered the issue more because he was the one, he was the thing I really remembered about this story that and, and chill blame just because of the idea. Right. But after rereading it with 55 year old eyes instead of, you know, 30 something year old eyes, I, um, I got a greater appreciation for it, especially now that I'm a family man, which I wasn't when I first read the story. Yeah, same here. When I first read this, I was 21, a year or two before I first got married, had kids. So, yeah, reading it now, I've got four kids. I've got a granddaughter. 
So, yeah, reading this now, yeah, it definitely takes on, especially I see with Wally and his whole son, and, and trying to find his son and save his son, it definitely has a different meaning reading it as a father and a grandfather than is it when I first read it. You know, it's not no young punk. Right. <laughs> that's right, because, you know, when you're kids, it's, it's more about the parents being threatened, because that's right. something kids could relate to. And that's probably why a lot of comic book characters have their parents killed these days. Well, unless you have any other thoughts on it, I guess uh, we'll tie this up right here. Um, why don't you tell everybody else, you already mentioned at the beginning of the show, but let me go ahead and give you a chance to plug your show and anything else you have one more time. Well, I appreciate that. Thank uh, you. Where can people find you? Well, the, the, again, the most active I've been on the interwebs was uh, podcasting on the Fire & Water ne- uh, Podcast Network. I had just completed my first season of the Done in One Wonders podcast, Wonder Show, which spotlights five of my favorite Done in One comic book stories from the Bronze Age and near Bronze Age. And I am also hard at work on season two, which should debut in September. And there should be a teaser promo of the second season somewhere in this very episode. Also on the network, um, I had done a few FW Presents one-shot podcasts, um, which are also available on fireandwaterpodcast.com. One is on The Amazing World of DC Comics fanzine, and the other one is my moderating a fan panel discussion of Batman the Animated Series. Also on the internet, I I make somewhat regular artistic contributions to The Line It Is Drawn, which is a weekly sketch challenge feature on the comic book uh, uh, resources website at cbr.com. By the time this episode drops, I I think the feature would have reached its 400th week. So for such a milestone, I would definitely have contributed something to that. So I can't wait to see what I did. (laughs) Yeah, this should drop the second Tuesday of August. Oh, yeah. Well, We'll be well. We'll be well past the four hundred. So I should already know what I did, even though I don't, because we're at week three ninety nine right now, where I, oh, where it's a Steve Ditko tribute, and I did a tribute of um, the Steve Ditko and Len Wein Starman from the Adventure Comics series in the early nineteen eighties. Right. Finally, I have a blog site. I actually have a blog. That's how I started on the internet. It's called Omelette au Fromage, which is basically cheesy. F- Cheesy thoughts from my brain. It can be found at zoom-yukonori.blogspot.com. I had not made any new posts there for quite a while, but I basically designed the blog to help people who do not know me to get to know me and to help people who do know me to get to know me better. So all the posts there are still, you know, they're, they're still new to somebody who hasn't seen them. Very good. Uh, and like I said, I definitely recommend people checking, you know, checking out your shows I know you've heard on the Fire and Water, as we talked about earlier, on the Fire and Water podcast. Thank you. And on their Who's Who episodes, they have your Zoom Who's. That's right, the Zoom, the Zoom's Who feature. That's right. I, I, I do. I love that. <laughs> I, ha- I have a story for that, but we're going to save it for behind the podcast. There you go. So, well, again, I thank you very much for taking time out of your, your day to talk to me about this. Sure. As I said, I enjoy listening to your, I enjoy your, your company tones of your voice. So. <laughs> <laughs> even though I, even though I have Thank a slight even though I have a slight scratchy throat. That's right. Uh, I'll have to get back on one of my shows. Talk about something else one of these days, just because I enjoy talking <laughs> to you. But well, if the, if the opportunity arises. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. We're going to take a break, and I'll be right back. Headspeaks will be back after these important messages. 
it began with the origin of his comic book fandom. This is the very first comic book I have ever read, and also ignited the spark of my comic book collecting over the course of a 1974 weekend. Professor Zoom Yukinori led an ongoing expedition through his favorite single-issue comic book stories from the Bronze Age of DC Comics. Balance of Power, Have Horse, Will Fly, Solomon Grundy, Wins on a Monday, Superman's Unbeatable Rival, Green Lantern, Master Criminal of the 25th Century. With unique celebrity guest perspectives in an ambitious attempt to set this program apart from other comic book review podcasts, Call me Terror Man. Solomon Grundy am co-host this time. I am Lanos, the, the lexical archive of minutia, expositions, expositions, and origins. Goodbye, me am Bizarro. I am Libra. This is Aya from the Green Lantern. It is I, the Reverse Flash. Which had ended with the destruction of the universe. Or... Has it? Where in Thunderation are we? I regret to say that you are my prisoner. Without our interspatial time conveyor, we are all essentially trapped here. Can't summon the willpower necessary for my power ring to pull me free. For nearly two decades, I had carried her ghost within my heart. Experience the wonder. Great wings of Mercury! <laughs> of an all-new season. Solomon Grundy, a fat little pointy-eared man before. Let us get back to the story, shall we? Down, down, and approach. Of the Done in One Wonders Podcast Wonder Show. Only on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Allow me, Entity Terra Man. That does it. They ain't messing with no timey lines ever again. Yeah, I'm really excited for 2016. In fact, I think we should record a promo about all the changes to the Fire and Water Podcast Network happening this year. What do you think, Rob? That's a great idea. We can mention the new folks joining the network and all the shows. I can talk about how we'll continue with our Aquaman and Firestorm show. And I want to be sure to plug my movie show, The Film and Water Podcast. What about you, Ryan? Oh, I think we should definitely record a promo. I'll mention how the Secret Origins podcast is joining the Fire and Water Network. And then I'll introduce my newly relaunched shows, Give Me Those Star Wars and Power of Fishnets, The Black Canary and Zatanna Podcast. Sound good to you, Chris? Absolutely. I'll mention the show I record with my lovely wife, Cindy, Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. We should probably also mention the Power Records podcast Rob and I do, too. What about you, Siskoid? Well, sure. I can talk about my ensemble show, The Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, and my new upcoming shows about the DC Comics crossover event, Invasion, and yes, oh, hot move. Shag, you think we should mention Hero Points, the most occasional DC heroes role-playing podcast? Sure, why not? And I can talk about Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, and mention my new upcoming show, Justice League International, Wahaha podcast. Now, here's what I'm thinking. When we record, I'm fine being the first person talking. I can explain all the changes to the Wait network. a minute, wait a minute, wait. Why do you get to start the promo? I'm just as much of a part of this as you are. It was my idea to create the Fire and Water podcast back in 2011. I should start off this promo. 
I kind of think it should be one of the new voices who kick off the promo. It'll shock the listener into attention if it's not Rob or Shag. Cindy and I make up two people in the network. Plus, you know, ladies first. So we should be the first people talking on the promo. Ben, voyons donc. You have what? got uh, what? to. Like, no, French well, cannot be the same. Well, well, enough. Stop it. You're like boys with toys. Let's just make this simple. We can tell the folks at home the Fire and Water Podcast Network is growing in 2016. Several new shows are joining the network. We'll have a new dedicated website, a Twitter account, and Facebook page. And folks will be able to subscribe to each individual show or all of them. See, now was that so hard? The Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available soon through iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fireandwaterpodcast.com. Seriously, Shag, you had to get the last word, didn't you? And now back to Head Speaks. This month on At the Movies with Head, I'm not going to so much talk about a movie or TV show or anything, but I'm going to talk about the uh, the trailers shown at the recent San Diego Comic-Con. I haven't been there in years. Anyways, that's not what this is about. Um, at the San Diego Comic-Con, they show trailers for the new Titans TV show that's going to be on the uh, DC streaming service and for the upcoming Shazam show or movie. I just want to briefly take a few minutes to talk about those and my initial thoughts. I've made my thoughts clear on Facebook, on my own post, and elsewhere. But I've got a podcast. I talk about things, so let's talk about it. So first up, let's talk about the Teen or the Titans trailer. Uh, first of all, my background. I'm a big fan of the Wolfman Perez Titans from the late 80s through the mid, yeah, early mid 90s. Up when it got to round issue 100, a little after I started to check out, I still read it. I still bought it because I'm a completist like that. But it wasn't quite as good. I And a lot of people kind of checked out at the uh, Titans Hunt. I enjoyed that. I don't like what Marv did with Jericho just because I'm a big Jericho fan. I think there's like me and like one or two other people in the fan club. But I, I enjoy Jericho, so I didn't like that. But... I enjoyed Titans Up. I say it, I even enjoyed Team Titans. I enjoyed that whole run up through uh, Rogers 100. It's when it started to go downhill for me. The Jeff Johns run on Titan Titan Team Titans was pretty good. For the most part, it wasn't as good as the Wolfman Perez run, but that was during my introduction to comics, so nothing's gonna be as good. I, I don't care for the new 52 Titans as much. Um, some of the recent stories have been all right. I, I hate Damon with a passion. I, I want them to bring out another 900 members so we can kill him off too, but that's another story entirely. So that's my little quick background on the Teen Titans. So now to talk about the Titans trailer. And I made my comments and my suggestions and thoughts made on Facebook. And I've had people say, well, you can't judge it on a trailer. You know what? The heck with you. That's what a trailer's for, is to get people to watch it, for people to make judgments on. 
They want people to make good judgments, but you're going to have your judgments whether they're good or bad. So these are my thoughts on it. Again, I'm not watching the trailer again right now. I'm going off what I remember from the trailer I've seen a couple times so far. Uh, first of all, my complaints, of which I have so many. In fact, uh, again, they're using this trailer as their their uh, their push for their streaming service. If this trailer is what I have to go off of, I would give their streaming service a big negative. I know that they're going to have comics on there. They're going to have a bunch of old TV shows and movies. Uh, that makes it enjoyable. I know they have an upcoming Doom Patrol TV series I'm interested in. But the Titan series is the only thing we've seen so far. And uh, so far, I, I give it a big thumbs down. Um, I'm trying to think of positives of it. And there's not a whole lot, unfortunately. Again, as I said, I'm big Prez, Wolfman, Wolfman Prez, Titans fan. So take that what you will. Oh, I can't think of any positives offhand. I'm just trying to think. I can't think of any positives offhand. Everything I can say about it is negative for the most part. So let's get into the negatives. Uh, it starts out showing Robin, which we've been told is Dick Grayson, fighting some bad guys. Uh, he says, F Batman. I know that there was a period that he was pissed off at Batman, but that is just... I don't know. I i like Titans to be more for an all ages, or at least, you know, teens and older, maybe even... I don't know, all ages, Titans. I, I don't like that attitude of Dick Grayson. If it was a Jason Todd Robin, I'd be a little okay with it. Another scene at this point we see is Robin fighting some bad guys... And the trailer, again, maybe it's just the way the trailer's cut, which, again, if DC is promoting that as their trailer, they should have some say in it. It looks like Robin takes the gun and starts shooting people. He steps on one guy's head, and I don't know if he's snapping his jaw or his neck, but this Robin, again, if, especially for Dick Grayson, if it was Jason Todd, I could understand that. Jason was a bit more rougher around the collar, if you will. Or rough around the edges. But for Dick Grayson, he shouldn't be quite so bloodthirsty. I don't know. I just don't like the way they're doing Robin here. He has costumes. Some scenes it looks, or some pictures I've seen it looks all right. Some I've seen the darker cover, the darker colors for it. I don't like, as I've said before. Batman, yeah, can have darker colors. Superman should be bright and blue and red and yellow. Robin should have bright reds. He, as basically back in um, either year three or Lonely Place of Dying or Living, whichever it was, back in the 90s when Tim became Robin, he made a comment that Robin was to counterbalance, counterbalance Batman's darkness. So he should be a lighter, brighter, more color. Yes, I know it's not realistic. I'm doing air quotes in case you can't see it. I don't like... Again, air quotes, realistic and comic or comic movies, comic TV shows. I don't go to these for realism. I go to these to see brightly colored superheroes kicking the butts of bad guys. So when someone says, oh, it's more realistic if it's darker. You know what? The heck with you. I, I don't want realistic in this. Another complaint I have, Gar, from pictures I've seen, it looks like just his hair is green. 
Gar is Beast Boy, aka Changeling, uh, who is a member of the Doom Patrol, joined the Teen Titans. I, I love Beast Boy. He's a great character. I, I don't like the fact that he doesn't appear like he's going to be green. Again, that's part of his character to me. Speaking of characters that are colored wrong, Starfire. Uh, again, in the comics, she's an orange, tall, very buxom beauty. In here, she is a black gal with a crappy red wig. And she's dressed like a hooker. As we've talked about elsewhere and on other Facebook posts. She, she's dressed like a hooker. That, there's another way to pet it. I know you're not supposed to say that nowadays. Women have agency and blah, 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 blah. All this PC crap. But I don't like the way they're doing Starfire. She's not tall. She's not buxom. She's not a beautiful orange skin. But brother, hey, there's no orange skin. That's when you get CGI. Well, you can't do orange skin and CGI. It won't look right. And you can't do green either. Yeah, Gora looks awful, doesn't she? In case you can't tell them over my podcast, that's sarcasm. Starfire, and again, like I told other people, if you can't do the character like she is in the comic, in my opinion, don't, don't do her. I, I think she needs to look like she does in the comic. She needs to be a tall, orange-skinned, I guess it's red hair. She needs to be a beauty. She needs to be orange. She's an alien, for God's sake. I don't care the color of the actress. I think a lighter-skinned black would be better. Uh, the Alice Planer looks a little too dark. I don't know if, how well they can do the orange with her. But, and maybe again, maybe these trailers are off-putting it, but what they're giving us isn't Starfire. Moving on to another character I disliked, uh, Dove. We The few scenes we have Dove, we've seen some shots with her, some early promos. Her costume looks fine. The only problem I have with it is her eyes are black. Again, Dove is supposed to be a lighter. She's supposed to be a Lord of, uh, an agent of either peace or the order. Depends which area you're looking at. The Dawn Granger was a uh, an agent of peace, or I'm sorry, of order. So, in the trailer, we see her slicing people with her wings. I, I don't care so much for that. Yes, she can kick butt when she needs to. She's not a lightweight, but she shouldn't be slicing people willy nilly. Uh, Raven, she looked all right. I can give that, I don't know about props, but I can say she looked all right for what they did. I don't care for the younger, again, in quotes, goth Raven, because she's not goth. She is the daughter of a demon. Her mom was kind of raped by a demon, and she was created that way. Titans Go kind of makes her seem more gothish, and I'm afraid they're going that route with her, which I don't care for. I, I will check out the Titans show at some point. Just check it out because, again, as I said earlier, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'm a big fan of the Titans, especially the Teen Titans or the Titans under Wolfman Perez. They did a fantastic job with them. So I have a love in my heart for these characters. In fact, I've talked to also about some other podcasts I'd like to do. I wouldn't mind doing a Titans. Well, I say, you know, the one issues one through uh, the Teen Titans through. Maybe 100 or so of the Titans. Because, again, that was there. I love on them. But I don't know. I, I Again, this trailer offhand, 
doesn't fill me with confidence. It doesn't fill me with hope. It doesn't fill me with... I, I don't want to pay seven, eight dollars a month for the streaming service is if this is going to be their main show, if you will. I'm hoping for the best. Hopefully the trailer was cut wrong and it's going to actually be better than it looks, but I am not filled with confidence at this point. Mm, what are you going to do? Let's move on from there to Shazam. Shazam, a.k.a. Captain Marvel. Uh, he was a Charlton, not Charlton, he was a Fawcett character. DC sued Fawcett years ago because he was too close to Superman, so they kind of stopped doing them. Then Marvel copyrighted the character of Captain Marvel. So DC's kind of, and then DC actually bought the rights to the character later on. So they're kind of limited what they can do with the name Captain Marvel. In the comics, the character's name is Captain Marvel. The wizard that gives him powers is Shazam. Uh, he's a young boy. He says, Shazam, the name of the wizard. He turns into Captain Marvel, and he's... Well, he's still the same boy, but he's got an adult personality and mindset originally. In the newer incarnations, it's Billy the Kid in an adult body, so... And it looks like that's what they're going with the movie. When he says, from what we've seen, it looks like he is a kid's mind in an adult's body. I prefer the older Captain Marvel, but we'll do what we have. And I've changed the wizard from a white guy to a black guy because of political correctness and we have to have black people in it. Ah, I've made myself clear, and I'm going to be talking about this at some point on Head Speaks with a, a buddy of mine, uh, Jonathan, about changing races of characters. I've made it clear on Facebook. I think I made it clear on here. I don't care when you change the race of a character. It doesn't, it doesn't sit right with me. And unless they do something extraordinary with it or there's something special with it, I don't like when they change the race of a character. I gave it a pass to Lana Lang. She's more... Kristen Kirk looks more like Asian a little bit more. She's not a redhead. I would have preferred Lana to be redhead, but Kristen Kirk is hot. I'm a sexist pig. I was... Somewhat fine with that. But I didn't care for D.B. Sweeney, who I love as an actor. But I didn't care him playing Terry Fitzgerald in the Spawn movie. Uh, I don't didn't care for, I forget the guy's name, the guy that played uh, Pete Ross in Smallville was a black kid. His husband White. James, adult, grown man, Olsen. And Supergirl, I don't like that. They changed him black. In fact, that's... For another podcast, I'm not going to get into that. I think I've already talked about that a bit in the past. but So, I don't care for the fact that she was to a black guy. It doesn't sit well with me. But the rest of the trailer for Shazam looked pretty good. Um, again, they are going with the young kid in an adult's body. So, he's got the kid mindset. I don't care for that so much. But that's the New 52 version. That's what they've been doing for a while. So... I can go with that, I guess. I, I do want to see Shazam. It looks interesting. I, I do wish the lightning bolt was a little longer. Again, that's more of a nitpick. But overall, I enjoyed the Shazam trailer much more than Titans. So I am looking forward to Shazam. I, I do have some nitpicks, some qualms with it. The lightning bolt needs to be longer. I'd rather it be a, an adult mindset instead of the kid mindset like they're doing. But the costume, for the most part, looks pretty good. I am not too turned off or too scared away by what I've seen so far. So I'm willing to check that out. 
The Titans, as I said earlier, jeez, oh, it's just horrible in my opinion. But we'll see what happens. But anyways, again, this is just a quick little. We just got some trailers for them, so I just wanted to. And again, these have been out for a month or so, but I wanted to put my opinions out there because, again, that's what a podcast is for—is for me to give you my opinions, my thoughts. Uh, if you don't like it, uh, there's other podcasts out there. I I love listening to people. I love you know. If, you, if I'm wrong, let me know. Leave feedback on the Facebook page, on the blog page, head.headspeaks.com, or send me an email to head at headspeaks.com. Let me know if I'm wrong. Again, it's my opinion, so I can't be wrong. That's how I think. That's my opinions on it. But let me know what you guys think. I'm curious to hear about you guys and what you guys think about the tra- Titan trailer and the Shazam trailer. I'm excited for Shazam. As I said, not so much for Titans. Uh, I'm excited, I guess, for t- Doom Patrol, but a little weary from what I've seen from Titans. So... Because again, I'm not a huge Doom Patrol fan. I'm like Paul, I'm not like Paul Hicks or Mike Garvey over the Waiting for Doom podcast. I'm not doing a podcast on Doom Patrol, but I do like Doom Patrol, so I'm curious to see what happens with them. Um, but you know, that's all I got to say about that. Let me know what you guys think. Send me an email, leave me a Facebook comment, leave me a message on the website. Curious what you guys think. Now, let's take a moment for Heads Mailback. Mailtime. got mail. And now for Head's Mailbag, let's start with the, uh, let's start with Facebook, actually. I was going to do Twitter, but that's a list of names. Yeah, let's do Twitter, Twitter first. I'm juggling this in the air. So we're going to do Twitter. These are going that's liked or commented or anything over the last couple of months uh, on my Twitter account on Head's, the Headcast Network. It's a good size listing, and I appreciate each and every one of you guys that have retweeted or liked or commented on any of my statuses. I appreciate you guys. So let's go through the list. Let's start with Aaron Henley, Adam, Atelian Rising, BGSU Batman Conference, BK on the Air, Brian Mulvey, Checker Pass Podcast, Comic Coffee and Comics. That's previous guest Clinton Robinson. Comic Book Chuck, Comic Cove, Comics Tweets, Dave's Travel Corner, DC in the eighty. Uh, that's our buddy. Justin over at the DCNadies.com. DCOCD, that's our Australian friends, Paul Hicks and Mike Garvey, who's doing a fantastic job looking at all the DC crossover events. Debster70, Delvin, aka Dark Webs or Felix Letter. Lighter? I can't read. Sorry about that. Uh, Delvin, he's over on the Longbox Crusade. Donald Uhura, El Roberto, Elena Levin, Gal Walks into a Comic Shop. Hagar the Horrible, Hicks. It's, again, Paul Hicks from over at the Waiting for Doom and the DCOCD podcasts. ITG Blogcast, Jay Bond, Jared Albrick, the Yard Cell Artist. He's a buddy of ours from over at the G.I. Joe, or Royal American Headcast, and also part of the Longbox Crusade. Jason Muner, Jeff Lemire, and I believe that's the uh, DC writer that does 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 it? That recently worked on, uh, I believe it was Animal Man and a lot of other books. Uh, great, great writer. Jeffrey Brown, Jeremy Draw, 
I'm sorry, Jeremy Daw, Jody L. Sellers, Justice First Dawn, Keith Dooley, Kevin Reitzel, again, our buddy from the G.I. Joe Real American Headcast, and also he's a big G.I. Joe fan, a big cosplayer, and he's over on the Fandom Podcast Network. Kirk Spencer, Connell, Christantos. I keep hanging in there. It's Christantos. Again, that's our buddy Pat Sampson from, uh, again, he shows up on my G.I. Joe Real American Headcast, and he has, is on the uh, part of the the creator of the Longbox Crusade. Speaking of which, the Longbox Crusade, Lauren Skinnis Art, Married Comics. That's our buddy uh, Jonathan Schaefer Haynes, which I'll be mentioning just a minute here. Him and his wife have a podcast. It's a great podcast. It's a new one. Check him out. He was also on a recent episode of G.I. Joe or Real American Headcast. Moonman Neil Alejandro, Peyton I Like Tunes Pressgrove, Podcast Partners. R&D Adventures, that's Ruth and Darren. Uh, the Sutherland's great couple. We've got some great podcasts. Rare book, I'm sorry, it's Rare Comic Books, Relatively Geeky. That would be, I believe, Professor Alan Corbin and his whole podcasting crew. Ricardo Jimenez, Rob Heldon, Robert Michaels, The Rolled Spine Podcast, Russell Bragg. Russell's over on the... Uh, uh, the DC Comics Presents show that's getting ready to wrap up here soon. Ryan, da- Ryan Daly of the Cheers cast. So Ryan Daly used to be a regular on my G.I. Joe Rumor Kid cast. He had a Secret Origins podcast plus several other shows. Uh, great guy. His newest one's called the Cheers cast. It's a great show. Secret Wars and Beyond podcast. Shield Boy. Terrence Castanglai. The Chair. The Hammer Strikes. Random geeky stuff. Hammer Strikes, our buddy Gene Hendricks. I've talked with him before in the past, and he's a great guy. Uh, the Uncanny Abel Padzilla, Tim Price, Checker Talk, Vikes Garzon, Garzon Warlock Thanos Podcast, Weasel Skull, that's uh, Jared's brother, and Writer's Bagel Basket. Over on Facebook, the list is shorter. We just have Christopher Luke, the Irredeemable Shag, and Jonathan Schaefer Hames. And speaking of Jonathan Schaefer Haynes, he made a comment on episode 38. That was the Action Comics Annual number three I did with Michael Bailey and Clinton Robinson. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, he said, Jonathan says, My favorite part is where a team of scientists says that Superman is born in the USA and everyone accepts us immediately with nothing res- resembling controversy over demanding a birth certificate. Uh, the far future 2001 will be happier days. <laughs> and I made some comments on there that I'm not going to repeat here. It's very political. I didn't get too much into it, but we all know where I'm going with that. But anyways, and then after that, he said, seriously, though, I'm quite enjoying the behind the scenes segments. Trying to start a new one. Try that again. He says, trying to start one's own podcast is a tricky business, as you are aware. So it's great to hear people's firsthand experience. And it's always a pleasure to hear Pat Sampson talk about stuff. That was Again, that's when I had Pat Sampson on behind the podcast. So thank you very much for writing in, Jonathan. Uh, I'm going to have to get you on this show at some point. Again, I know I've had you over on my uh, G.I. Joe, and we're talking about getting me on one of your shows, but we'll have to wait and see what happens. But that's it for Ed's Mailbag, and that'll do it for this episode. Be sure to join us next time, and uh, as I can see my Armageddon 2001 crossover, and remember, Ed has spoken.
thank you for listening to another fantastic episode of Head Speaks. Hope you enjoyed it. If so, let me know. Drop me an email to head at headspeaks.com or visit our home at head.headspeaks.com. You can also visit and talk with me on Facebook and Google+, both under Head Speaks. You can also send an MP3 file with your thoughts, and I can play that on the air. And you can also get more of me on my other podcasts. Be sure to listen to Task Force X, where monthly I look at John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kuppenberg's Checkmate comics from the 80s and early 90s. Also, over on G.I. Joe, a Real American Headcast, my podcasting friends Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning, along with myself, are looking at all of the G.I. Joe, a Real American Hero comics, and related titles from Marvel and IDW. All of my headcasts are available on iTunes and Stitcher, along with the respective blogs and my main page at headspeaks.com. All, all comments, thoughts, and opinions expressed on Head Speaks are owned wholly by the speaker of said comments, and do not express the opinions of Head Speaks, unless, of course, I'm the one making the comments. Head Speaks, Task Force X, and G.I. Joe, a Real American Headcast, are all part of the Headcast family. So, join us next month for another wonderful episode of Head Speaks. Until then, I'll see you in the funny pages. Good night. Living is 
Best they can. <laughs> 